right, here we go. Test, 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 one, two. Don't feel bad. This is great, and I want to use it all. I just, I can't remember why. We'll carve out pieces. potentially useful episode of the TCAP Slew podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and she's completely in the bag for books. It's Steffi Light. We have Kara Gregory as our special guest on today's show. Kara is the founder of Power Book Bags. But before we open the book on our interview with Kara, we must first ruminate over this week's TCAP Sloop moment of zen. Service to others is the rent you pay for your time here on Earth. Muhammad Ali. Now let's get to Steffi's conversation with Kara Gregory from Power Book Bags. I am excited. Um, I just wanted to explain for a second to, to Larry and to listeners that I'm connected to Power Book Bags because you have been a great resource. Um, and it's just one of the programs that Power Book Bags has, but for the school giveaways, we have been connected that way. Um, Power Book Bags has done their giveaway programs in our schools, in our TCAP schools, and we also have had some opportunities to share books with Power Book Bags that have been received as donations that we were not able to add to our libraries, but happily they were able to make it into the hands of kids through Power Book Bags, which we greatly appreciate. So I have learned a little bit about sort of the, the focus of Power Book Bags, but I'd just like to hear from you how, how it came to be and in kind of your own words, the mission behind what you do. So once upon a time, my background is child development and education And the very last um, presentation I ever gave um, as a consultant was to um, urban city poverty, and it was with Pontiac teachers, um, preschool teachers. And of course, before you go give a presentation, you better make sure you're up to date on absolutely everything, right? Because there'll be someone, somebody that's a plant in the audience that says something you don't know. So I always really, really bone up on what I'm talking about before I go. Even though I've read, I just make sure I've read the latest. And the very latest that came out right before I went and did that presentation was how to beat poverty um, through literacy. And so I was get, that's what I was there to talk to them about was literacy and they had these children in poverty. So I read the book and it was really good. And it just, so it stuck with me. Um, that's what I spoke with them about. And then I moved up north and I'm not looking at urban poverty. I suddenly was looking at rural poverty. We had just moved up here, and I wanted to get my family involved in something important to give back to the community. So we called Salvation Army. It was their Christmas dinner. And I said, hey, I've, you know, I've got six kids. Can we come help you? And they kind of went, ah! They were very polite, but you know, lady you don't know with six children has a lot of misperceptions about it. So we showed up, and um, of course, they wouldn't let us step foot in the kitchen. Um, they told us we could set the tables. So we, we stayed out in the main area and we set the tables and it looked so sad. And it wasn't because, I mean, they were making great food, but then there was no ambiance and this was supposed to be their Christmas dinner. So I just said to the people, um, hey, could we decorate? 
and they looked at me like I was from Mars and said, well, we don't have any decorations. And I said, well, I was a kindergarten teacher. I can make something out of nothing. So they took me to their storeroom and there was this tiny little box that said scrap paper for children while they wait. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. So I thought that and then I went on and my kids and I made paper chains and snowflakes and gussied it up and and it was actually really cute when we left and people were happy. And then that was the end of that. But I went to bed that night and you know how your brain keeps working. So my brain kept working while I was sleeping and I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, okay, that's great that they have something for them to write with, but is it on an ongoing basis? Because my dissertation actually was about writing and reading. So is it an, on an ongoing basis? Are the kids reading all the time? Are they writing? Are they, do they have books? Do they have an ongoing supply of books? Because, you know, the research says if you don't have an ongoing supply, change doesn't happen, right? It's lovely when people donate one thing, but if you don't keep it going, it doesn't really make a big difference. And so I called Ruth Blick at the Salvation Army, and she, at that point, she's a dear friend of mine now, but at the point in time when I called her, she didn't know me from Adam. And she was said, well, um, yeah, sometimes we get book donations, and yeah, sometimes, you know, we, you know, we put out the writing and I said, but, you know, I gave her my spiel. It has to be ongoing. And she, and I said, could we just try it with you? And she was like, well, sure. And I, and she admits now that she didn't expect it to continue. Right. <laughs> so of course I kept thinking, um, in the middle of the night, it wasn't just the writing and the reading, it was playing because that was also a big area that I did research on once upon a time. And playing is really the best way to get language going because really in the end, books are the vehicle for language. Writing is the vehicle for language. And language is what we really need to have children experience, especially children in poverty. And these poor children, they're often transient. They're moving homes. They're they're leaving without notice. They're going places. We want them to have something nice that they can have to feel good about themselves and keep their things in. Literally, this was like a middle of the night thought process. So, um, when I called Ruth, I told her all this, and I'm sure she thought I was crazy. But I, she said, okay. And because she said, okay, I sat down and sewed these really awful bags, really hideous bags. But I did the best I could. I wasn't out a seamstress. I still am not. Um, I sewed these bags. I took books off my kid's bookshelf. And then I bought, of course, some composition books. Or actually, at the point, we actually um, were folding paper together, stapling it like you would in a kindergarten classroom. And then I bought some crayons. And then... Um, very quickly, we found puppets, um, which are still the highlight of what we do. That's how it started. And then um, I kind of don't think do things very small. Obviously, if I have six kids. And, um, so we we didn't go just to one place. Um, I, of course, talked to the people at Immaculate Conception at their food pantry. And I talked to the people at Leland Christian Neighbors. And so on March 4th, um, we started at the pantries. But Kathy Walter over at Immaculate Conception loved it so much. She actually got sewing beautiful bags and got people donating beautiful things all before we even started. So our official birthday is March 4th for giving things away. But actually, Immaculate Conception started a little bit sooner. So that's how it started. And now it's just blossomed. That's an amazing story. It's a goofy story. It's a great story. So the um, pantries, that part of the giveaway program was the first. Is that right? You started in pantries. We did. We started. So I wanted to, I wanted to go where families already were going, mm -hmm. um, families in need, because having children, I know that just giving you one more place to go, one more thing to do, it may not just happen. 
So we started at the pantries and we had great results. But what I found was that, of course, the older children weren't going into the pantry um, very often because families were going when their kids were at school. So we needed to do more. So in 2017, um, we actually started in Traverse City Schools at Traverse Heights and in Sutton's Bay at Sutton's Bay Elementary. Um, that was our first our first go into schools. We were at that point then um, buying used books, cleaning them up, and trying to make them as new as possible. Um, and then we would have like a school, a, a free giveaway. It would be like a scholastic fair giveaway only. These were these gently used books that we'd. I mean, and then we had great titles, and, and kids loved it because I wanted them to have the choice. Because another thing that we're based on is that children. You could give them all the things in the world, but if they don't have the choice, we're lucky if we read it, they read it once, but they're not going to treasure it and read it over and over again. And what we really, really want is children to develop that love, that disposition to be readers and that belief in themselves that they can read. And that will happen even if it's a book that's not at their level at that moment in time, you know, they'll stretch and they'll get to that level because they want it so badly. So the children loved coming in and picking out their own books. And as we got bigger and bigger, we realized it was um, we could actually buy books as a wholesaler because we could buy brand new books and give them these brand new books because really that was our ultimate goal. We just didn't have the money initially. So now we don't give used books away. We give brand new books that we buy in, semis pull up and deliver. It's kind of a crazy thing. Uh, we have volunteers that come and work on them and Larry, I feel like I'm like the podcast, How I Built This. I mean, you took this idea from the middle of the night and it's now there are semi trucks involved. Like it is, it's pretty amazing. It's kind of crazy, but it's only, it's, it's only happening because of people, you know, it's, I talk about it and then people talk with their friends about it. And pretty soon, you know, we have, you know, people in the community sewing thousands of bags, literally not like one or two and they're they're nice. They're not what I did. You know, they're so much better. We gave away 8,000 of these community made bags last year. We purchased our purple ones that the children at the schools will know. We gave away for over 14,000 bags last year, but 8,000 of them were made by people in the community. That's and amazing. Yeah, it is. And we gave away a, just last year, 101, over 101,000 books just last year. But it wasn't, it was because of people. It was because people came, people helped haul these books, people helped, you know, every book we let, we asked the child to sign their name because there's research that says if children sign their name in a book, it welcomes them into the club of readers. So it's really quite amazing because of all the people that have jumped on to help in the community, you know, not just in this community, but we have grown. We're now in 20, I think we're actually officially in 21 counties now, and there's a couple more on the docket. But we only can do this because each community is finding people that really want to make a difference for their children. It's a simple idea that is so powerful and punches above its weight, really. You know, there's so much that a child receives from, and, and what you're talking about with choice I think that is so key, just kids to be able to have some agency making those selections. And it's not really different for adults. I, I love what you said about the, the, the connection and the power of the people making this happen, because especially in this time where we've been disconnected from people so much, I feel like the, your program is, 
it's forming those connections with your volunteers and then with the families and with um, the kids who are benefiting. Thank you. It's creating a community around those children. And, and I wanted to pull on this little thread a little bit too. You had mentioned it earlier about creating routine. You know, we, we've talked about this in the past couple episodes about how important routine is for students. And one of the things that you mentioned early on was that you can give a child a book to help them become a reader, but if they don't have a consistent flow of books, it doesn't, it doesn't catch. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of, of that piece of main, of making sure that they don't just get one book, that they continue to get books? The research is really strong that when children actually, when any learner is going to learn anything, think about yourself. If you go to a, a workshop or you read something in the newspaper, you're likely to forget it. You might know it for a while and talk about, but it, unless you see it over and over again or hear it over and over again, it doesn't solidify in your brain and you it doesn't necessarily become part of your, your world. But when we're able to give children the opportunity to choose the books that they'd like to read, to keep the books so that they're at home, increasing the print material in the home, and then also give them the opportunity to write. You know, a big piece of this is that they get a composition book now and these little booklets, and we want them to be writing. And when we're, we're getting them to do these patterns over and over again, it really creates a thirst for more. So when children, and when children know it's a dependable thing, they're going to be likely to get engaged with it. So the first time we go into a school before the pandemic, it was really quite fun because schools would let us come in and we would talk with the children and I would give my little, you know, so, you know, you get a book today, you get to pick two books before you leave. And, you know, this is going to be yours, but you can't throw them under your bed. You need to read them and you want to read them over and over again because it teaches your brain how to read and it helps you love books. One time a little guy jumped up and said, you mean I get two books today? Because if you give me two books, I have one book at home. And he put his fingers together. That gives me three books. I'm going to have three books in my house. Holy cow. And so they get excited that they get more. And then you and then we'd have the child that wouldn't want to pick a book at all. And so I would talk with him and say, well, you know, what do you like? And I'd help them try to look for a book. And then I'd ask them, you know, what do you really like? And then we'd make sure that when we went back to that school the next time, we had that book he wanted. Even if it was a lot more than what we would buy our books for, we would make sure that that one kid who didn't want to read anything got a book. And then we would engage in conversations with them about the book. And, you know, what did you think? And what do you want to read this time? And they would come to know that before every vacation, they called us the purple ladies, um, even though sometimes men would come with us, the purple ladies would show up with books for them and they would go home for vacation every time with books. And we've actually still maintained this even during the pandemic. We can't go into the classrooms now or the schools because most of our volunteers are way over 65 and we're protecting them as much as the schools are protecting the students. But we still are packing the books in, into boxes and sending them into the classrooms so that we're this consistent source so the children know when they go to vacation, they go to vacation now with a book or two. But, you know, the research says, um, especially for children who are coming from low-income homes, you put 300 children in a room together. How many books do you think they have? Show me with your fingers, Larry and Stephanie. Um, all together? All together. 300 children. You know, Ten. you can show me within 10. Nope. 
Research says children in poverty will own one book collectively. So out of 300 children, one child will own one book. And so, of course, we're trying to change that because the more books in a child's home, the more likely they are to read. Um, the more print materials in a home, the more likely that family over time will change the culture of the family. According to the research, they'll become readers and writers and supporting education because there's more in the home to have at their disposal. So one of the hardest things that I find when I'm writing grants is they'll ask, how can you prove this made a difference? And I can't. I can't prove it makes a difference. But I can tell you that if it's at least in the home, laying around, the child had a choice to pick it up, it's likely that it could happen. And if there's nothing there, it won't happen. I saw this billboard one day that said it's hard to do homework without a home. And that was really shocking to read. And then I thought, yeah, and it's hard to read and write without books and writing materials. Like, we have to provide these materials to the families so that at least there's a possibility, you know. So what we're trying really hard to do is, is increase the possibilities because this magic number of 100 books in the home, that's the magic number that we're going for. 100 books makes it more likely that they're going to graduate from school, from school and go on and do something very productive in life. It makes it more likely that they have friends, that they keep their friends, that they have lifetime relationships, um, that they're less likely to have substance abuse issues. They're less likely to end up in jail. They're much more likely to be productive. So that hundred books in the home is what we're aiming for. And actually we can make it happen because we went on with our programs. We don't just do the food and baby pantries and we don't just do schools now. We also started working with the health department during the pandemic. Mm. And um, at the health department, we started working with the families who receive WIC. So we would package up some books and give them a bag. And then the health professionals during their meetings with the families would give them a bag. And then they'd get a choice of which package of books they want. And even if it's the choice of do you want package A or package B, they're still getting a choice. And the families enjoy getting these packages. We were doing that. And of course, the ladies that were working for WIC were, were sharing it with the people who work with maternal infant health programs. And so we said, no, you can't do that. We want you to have your own set. So now we have our own set of books, different books for the maternal infant health families, because those are going into the home with the maternal infant health professional for the birth to two families. So we added that piece during the pandemic. And we also added um, Early Head Start. So now we have Early Head Start professionals taking our materials into the home, and they're actually designing curriculum around the materials that we're giving to them. So it's this beautiful partnership that we just keep forming everywhere we go because there's a need, and we really want to make sure. Do you know, of all the counties that we're in, one out of every two children or more is actually in the birth to four population is being served by WIC. Half the families, wow. half those children. So if half those children are not having print materials in the home and materials to play with at home, they're also then not getting brain stimulation. And you know, 90% of the brain is formed in the first five years of life. And so it's crucial that someone's doing what we're doing, which is probably why people are joining us and helping. So when you mentioned the play piece, I think that's really key the connection between play and literacy, the connection between play and mental health. Can you talk about the play piece in more detail? Yes. Actually, we just, because of our new partnership with um, the health department, we now have 
some new materials for the zero to twos we've ordered, the listeners can hear. We have sensory balls, um, so different fabrics with something inside for the zero to twos. And then we have a hand puppet, and then we have little finger puppets that we use with children three and up. And the puppets have been a really popular piece, right? The puppets are like traded at school. They love them <laughs> and they, they go for a hot commodity. We've actually, I've actually witnessed a child trading like all of his race cars in his po- pocket for one little puppet. Um, yes, these are, these are hot commodity. But what happens with the play, the reason I was really insistent on having the puppets in our bags, children play when they draw, but they also really play and you get the language happening when they're interact. It makes the interaction happen. I have witnessed when families have been sitting waiting for their food at a food pantry, there's no interaction. And if I walk over and I hand a puppet to the little person, the little person will start doing this. And pretty soon, the parent can't help but start talking to the child and making noises and making this interaction happen. So the puppets invite invite the interaction, invite the back and forth, which is a huge piece of what we need to happen for the brain development. They also invite just a child to play and pretend. And when a child is playing and pretending, they are acting in the as if. So they're actually able to think about concepts and things that they've learned, play them out, think about how it affects them and make sense of it all. Like play is a great place for children to make sense of their world. Play is also a great place for children to act out rules and find out what happens when rules don't happen and and then make their own rules and control their world. And there's lots of rules in reading and writing. And so when we let them practice the rules in play, that actually really does relate to reading and writing later. But there's also so much mental health that happens because when there's an issue in your world happening, children need a way to get that out. And play is a great way that children actually are able to to act it out in a healthy way to get their feelings um doesn't fix their feelings, but get their feelings expressed. And that's really so important. And that mental health piece actually happens in their writing too, um, because they're able to journal or to write a story that they can just ignore what's going on in their real world and really just think about something else. And that's the beauty also of books, because books will take them to another land. And so it's true. I was very specific when I designed this program that it had playing and writing and reading. That's where the power is. It's the acronym for play, write and read. It's just crucial. And there's a lot of really good research coming out right now about play and the importance of play and literacy and the connection between playing and mathematics. I mean, all these things that we've actually seen and known in child development for so long um, experientially. And in theory, actually now the research is starting to actually find, find the same findings. And that's a really good thing. And that's why we do what we do. What has been for you the most gratifying part of working with this program? That's a good question. Um, It's obviously knowing that we're making a difference in children's lives. It's meeting the families over time, seeing the impact that we're making. But it's not, there's this unexpected piece. So first it's the children. And I, I obviously love children and everything that I'm about is, is about helping children. And so there's the piece about it helping children and helping families. But then it's also this lovely piece that I found with our volunteers that I didn't expect. We became, a, like before the pandemic, we were becoming friends 
You know, these people were working together for a collective purpose, but we were serving a purpose for them that I didn't even recognize. It's, it's we are a wonderful way for people to feel like they're making a difference because they really are. Because children don't have these things, especially the children in need, they don't necessarily have the puppet or the or the ball at home, and we're providing these. But the people that are helping us do this, all the volunteers, are feeling like they still have a purpose in life, and they do. Like it's it, we're not just pretending. We need them more than anything because this wouldn't happen without them. We are a total volunteer organization. We have one part-time employee, but we could not work without all of our volunteers and our donors helping us fund all that. It's been really gratifying. Um, but, you know, over time, I have a story I wrote once, once upon a time about a little guy, and his mom told me I could say his name. So his name is Warren. And Warren actually was, um, was born a special needs child. And Warren was visiting the food pantries, getting his food there. And the first time I met Warren, he didn't want to read. He wasn't interested. He wasn't anything to do with it. And I sat and chatted with him, found out he liked dinosaurs. And so I started making sure dinosaurs were on his bookshelf every time he came to the pantry. And over time, he went from loving dinosaurs to liking jokes. And he would sleep with his books at night. And one day his mom said to me, you know, he, you know, there's no room in his bed anymore. His bed is overflowing with his books. You know, I don't know what to do. And so we, you know, we, we talked and laughed. And, um, and then I saw her again in a couple of years at the library and we were talking at the library because I was just thrilled that he was at the library picking up books. And she said, yeah, but the problem is he still keeps getting books at the pantry, you know, and so he's just overflowing and he won't let me get rid of any of them. And we've moved them. And she said, and now he invites the neighborhood kids in and he has reading time and he reads to them. And, you know, this, this little guy who hated reading, wasn't reading, was in special education classes because he needed help with everything became a voracious reader and is sharing that love of reading with other kids. Like that's one of the most gratifying pieces. Is Absolutely. That over time, dear little Warren has become successful. When you're doing a grant and you have to, you know, they, they usually want data, anecdata, do stories like that. I'm just so curious about that piece because we know that that's making a huge difference. Mm -hmm. can that right. just can that serve as enough because <laughs> you know huge. so I have to be really honest the most frustrating part about writing a grant is a they don't let us say much mm -hmm. there's often you know very limited number of words or characters that can be in a grant so it's hard to express what we do and why we do it but also there's so many intangibles that you can't right. quantify you really it's the qualitative it's meeting the people it's seeing what happens it's seeing the looks on their faces it's the it's the kids getting this this convoluted sad look when you say hi you could take a book and then saying literally my mom's not here or i, I don't have any money today and then when you say these are free you get to keep them like the joy on their face and the mm -hmm. The excitement that the family has when they would, we had a parent call the WIC office and the WIC office would not take it off their machine for the longest time because they wanted me to hear it. And it was during the pandemic, you know, it was, it was a mom of two of three-year-old twins, like overjoyed that she'd been able to take these beautiful books home. She read to her, her three-year-old twin boys, this elephant book. And, and they were, they recognized their colors now because it was about colors and they were recognizing the alphabet and they were starting to read to her. I mean, it is, 
those pieces of what we know making a difference that are the hardest to translate into grants understanding what we're doing. I kind of equate it to when you get food at a food bank. So they'll count the loaves of bread, they'll count the number of cans, they'll count the pounds of food, but they don't actually weigh the children, right? You don't say now, tell me how much your weight changed because you came to the food bank last week. I want to eat. I want to know, um, you know, or what was your brain size? How did your brain change? We're like that, right? We're yeah. providing this staple. And, and sometimes I get really frustrated. Like, why can't I just tell you how many things we've given away? How many things I know children take home? Why can't I say to you that children at the elementary school are receiving six to eight more books every, every single year? And over time, if they started with us when they were at the WIT clinics, by the time they get done with us, they'll have those magic hundred books. And we know what the research says. So I try really hard to pair the research with, with just the quantities that we can honestly give because I never want to overstate what we do. And I never, I come from a systems background. Like my degree is in child and family ecology, which means it's everyone in the environment, every system in the environment that's making the difference. So we would never be so full of ourselves to say we made the difference because it wasn't just us. It's us providing materials that are being translated by the, by the beautiful cooperative organizations that we're working with that are helping that become more real to the families. And then it's the families doing it. And then it's the schools that are working with the children. And then it's all these other organizations that are also providing things. I mean, collectively, it is everyone that makes something change. It's not ever just us or one thing. But it can be the spark or the seed there, too. Well, we hope. Our mission is to increase children's experiences with language, literacy, and human interaction so that they can better understand themselves, communicate with others, and connect and interact with the world. And so really our mission isn't to improve their reading score. And our mission isn't to improve their writing score, but that's what people want us to say. Our mission is actually so much bigger and deeper. Our mission is building humans. It's the whole point. So, I have to say, I was a little teary hearing about the story. I mean, it is just, it's amazing. Like the connections between your volunteers and, and everything that you're doing. It's very inspiring. When you mentioned the difference between urban pover- poverty and rural poverty, I think that there is a misconception here. And I think there's been, you know, just recently some things to, to explain, but the, the income disparity, at least in the counties near Traverse City, I think that some of your statistics would shock people to hear that two, you know, one of two kids is eligible for, did you say WIC? I, I'm, no, I'm not. Yeah. Is, is lucky to receive WIC if their families have signed up. But yeah. I don't know how we're going to make a difference down long down the road if we don't take care of that early population, right? Mm-hmm. And we just did a consumer's grant. And so part of the Consumers Energy Grant was we put together a really nice table showing families in, you know, in poverty and living with Alice in the Alice population. Yes. So what used to be called the working poor mm-hmm. is now called the Alice group, but it you know, just doesn't have enough money to make everything happen. Right. Working hard just isn't happening. And we put that all together, and then I, we showed the percentage of children in the zero to four population receiving, receiving mm-hmm. WIC in each of the counties, and then the percentage of children right next to it who are not 
doing well on their third grade reading tests that the state says we have to give. And then the same, the percentage of children that aren't graduating from high school, ready to go on and do other things. And literally the number just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So these children that aren't starting off with everything they need because we're not able to help them enough are not catching up. It's sadly predictable. It's horrible. It's horrifying. And, and to think one out of every two children in all of these counties that we serve. So how can people help? (laughs) They could become volunteers. And how, how, how do they do that? So, they could go to our website, which is www.powerbookbags.com. If they go to .org, we also, have, we also own that one. So www.powerbookbags. They could go to our Facebook, which is Powerbookbags. They could look on Instagram. They could contact us through any of those means. They could also write to me, Kara, K-A-R-A, at powerbookbags.org. And I'd be happy to write back and, and welcome them in. So we need volunteers. We also need funding badly. We write for grants like there's no tomorrow. And if you go to our website, you'll see we're every year we're more successful than last year. And we did receive $50,000 from Consumers Energy just recently for our work with the birth of five population. It's just a drop in the bucket. Our budget is enormous for this year. And I thought it was enormous last year and we, we made it. And this year, it's three times what it was last year, because just like inflation's hitting everywhere else, our books have gone from being a dollar a book when we started to a dollar fifty, and now they're, I'm lucky if I can get high-quality books for $3 a book. So we need donations, and we need grants. We need some angel to come along and believe in what we're doing and want to help us. We really do. We, we could really use help. I believe that people will believe in it and help us. If anyone has questions or wants to have conversation or further dialogue, I'm really happy to have it. We've been invited into some of the um, health departments. You know, a district will have many health departments within that district. And we've been invited into like district number 10. All of it. We're serving four of them right now. And of course, if it's 10, there's actually 11 sites. So there are seven places in his health department number 10 that we've been invited in by the director. We don't have the funding to go in and help. They're not throwaway kiddos. And we've actually developed a program that's, that we know works. We're starting to do more um, of the education piece for the people that are working with us. We only have more to do, but we need help to do it. And we welcome everyone. You could want to work on the website with us. You could want to do the books. You could want to deliver to schools with a background check. We'll let you do that. We will bring books out to your car and put them in your car, give you the stickers. You can take them home, do it in the comfort of your house, watching TV or listening to your favorite movie or hanging out with whoever you want to hang out with. And then you can bring them back to us. There's lots of things people can do. So we have high schoolers. If you, if high schoolers need service hours, we've, we have, we have some high school groups now that work with us, um, and we have this great group of people who sew bags. So we also have fabric that you can pick up from us or, or meet us, and we'll drop off to you. It so, sounds like there's a there's a spot for anyone at any level who wants to give a little time, give a lot of time. Absolutely. This has absolutely. been fabulous. 
I would like to talk to you more another time if we could as well, because I, I have lots, lots more questions about. I was, the- I was thinking the same thing, Stephanie. I would love if you're willing to, and and you know maybe later on in the year or next year have a little update on on how your organization is doing. We we are we have run long, so we do have to kind of wrap it up. But it was because the stories, your stories are so powerful. And I'm proud of myself for not crying because I almost did a couple of times <laughs> no, hearing your stories. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, Thank you. And, and and I know my, uh, my my wife's in early education as well. And this would definitely resonate with her as an early educator. So fabulous work. And thanks for coming on the show. What a great interview. Thank you so much, Kara, for joining us on the show. And now in closing, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSloop. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, Downcast, Overcast, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I didn't even really know what I was getting into today, <laughs> to be really honest. <laughs>